Um, I do believe the Lord's given me a word for the church uh, to um, edify you, bless you. I think the Lord wants to teach us something which we need to receive by faith this morning. Uh, it's something very real to me that I've been learning from him. It needs to be received by faith. It's not an overnight thing. It's something you learn, but it's absolutely critical. And I'll keep you in suspense. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Um, I thought I would start with one joke, which fits the theme. Mustn't joke too much, though, must we? Um, there was a lady who prayed to God, said, Lord, how long have I got left to live? And to her great surprise, the Lord answered her and said, you've got 40 years. She thought, wow, that's long. She was already, like, you know, 30. So she thought, I'll make the most of it. She went out, she got Botox done on her face. She had a facelift done. She had liposuction done to make her look slim. She had her hair dyed. She came out of the clinic, crossed the road, was knocked over by a car and killed instantly. She stood before God and said, Lord, I thought you said 40 years. And he said, I'm terribly sorry, I didn't recognise you. <laughs> and the reason I say that joke is I want to speak about identity. Identity in Christ. I want to talk, I mean the joke doesn't mean a great lot, but I want to talk about how God sees you and me, and the church, how God sees us in his son. Because you know God doesn't see you outside of his son. He sees you in his son. Unless you're not a Christian. If you're not yet a Christian, I'll tell you what God sees. If you're not yet a Christian, God sees a person in terrible need and on the road to hell. We don't like talking about that. But that's what God sees if you're outside of Christ. But he loves you deeply and has only one word, well, two words for you. They would be, come to me, come and repent. Come and repent if you're outside of Christ. But once you're in Christ, it's a completely different ball game, if that's the right word. The way God sees you. And we are hit with an immediate problem because the way we see ourselves is often incredibly different to the way God sees us. You see, we are infected by the culture of Britain, by the culture of the world, the TV, the values it promotes, you know, how to get worth, how to get self-esteem, how to feel good about yourself. It, there's a culture in which we live and it conditions us to think about ourselves, you know, if I'm like this, then I'm a success. If I've got this or these good looks, then I'm good. If not, I'm a failure. The world conditions us. And Christians are deeply affected by this. I know I have been. By the culture, the values that are in the world. A bit like when I came home from India in January. I had had 23 curries in a row. I came home, I thought I smelt fine. As soon as I got in the door, my wife said, you smell like an Indian takeaway. And that, that smell continued for a number of days, and I was completely unaware of it, because I was just so used to it. And Christians can be affected in their self-image by what the world tells them they have to be. Now, I know we're not supposed to spend our lives looking at ourselves, we're going to look at the Lord, but it's absolutely vital 
that we start to appreciate how God sees us. Let me read you a couple of scriptures to kick it off. Um, in uh, Colossians chapter 2. The Lord spoke this to me, so I'm just sharing what he's teaching me, really. Verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, this is it, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Another version translates it this way, you are complete in him. Now, we can think, I'm not complete. It goes on to talk about sins being dealt with. We can believe that, but we can, we can believe our sins are dealt with. It says that in that passage. But we can think we're not complete in him as a church or as, as an individual. What I mean by that is we can think we need this. I need that to be someone. I need that to be someone. I need this. And I've, I've just been honest. We can think, I need to be attractive <laughs> to be someone. You know, a body like Arnold or a you know, sporty body. And you might, just, you might not like your body and think, I need to be that to be someone. Now, the world tells me if I'm going to be someone, I've got to look like, I don't know, Gerard Butler or something after he's done a workout. Or you can think, I need that position in my job or in the church. I need it to be someone. If I haven't got that position, I'm not a leader of a house group or an elder or a pastor or a preacher. If I don't preach, I'm not someone. I'm not something. I'm just a, you know, congregation, just sit there. We can believe this because the world teaches you that unless you perform, unless you do something, you're not someone. And pastors can struggle with this. You know, if a pastor preaches for years and years and then, then gets ill and can't preach anymore, he can start to think, I'm oh, nobody. But can I tell you this? This is the big truth that God's been showing me. You're not someone if you preach, because some of you don't preach. You're not something if you preach. You're not someone if you're a big position. You're not someone if you look like Gerard Butler with the washboard abs. You're not someone if you've got a lot of money, like Donald Trump. Donald Trump thinks he's someone, bless him. I had a phone call with him yesterday. No, not really. Um, but you're not someone or something if you've got a lot of money and you think you've got success. You're not someone if you're married or single. You know, some people think, sorry to bring this up, but some people think, unless I'm married, I I'm not really anybody. Because the culture, the world teaches you to be someone, to be something. You know, you've got to be married, you've got to have kids. It's a lie. Now, there are some cultures out there that are very strong on that. You go to certain Southeast Asia cultures, because I work in a mission that deals in Asia, 
Single missionaries get a hard time because the culture says, well, you're not married, there must be something wrong with you. It's a lie from Satan. I know it's nice to be married, you know, well, most of the time. <laughs> um, but, but it's not, it doesn't define you, your value. This is the truth of God, and I don't care if you don't remember anything else I say. This is the absolute truth of God. You are someone, you are something in Christ. In Christ, you are someone, you are something in Christ. It doesn't matter if you clean toilets, you're someone. It doesn't matter if you're the Prime Minister. If you're in Christ, if you're outside of Christ, you're not. Because this is how God sees us. Now, you've got to believe this. There's a little verse in Colossians, a bit further on, which says this. It says in chapter 3, verse 3, it says, You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. What does that mean in God? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? It means that when God looks at you, pick on Tracy, don't mind, do you? <laughs> when God looks at Tracy, if she has trusted and believed in Jesus, when God looks at Tracy, Tracy is hidden in Christ. God sees Jesus when he looks at you. When God looks at Tony, pick on you. And I know he's he trusted in the Lord, he trusted in Jesus. His life is hidden in Christ, in God. So when God looks at Tony, he doesn't see Tony as people may, I don't know, people have treated you badly, I hope I haven't too much, you know, written him off or anything. God sees Jesus sat on that chair. You won't find, you think, no, surely not. He does. Your life is hidden in Christ, in God. When he looks at grace, he sees Jesus. When he looks at Simon, he doesn't see apologetic Simon. He doesn't see, you know, Simon who's had a few problems. He sees Jesus. The problem is we don't see ourselves like that. We think to be someone, to be something, I've got to have a position. I've got to have a lot of money because, you know, money means I'm a success. And if I haven't got a lot of money, it means I'm a failure. That's a lie. God doesn't look at you like that. If you've got a lot of money, it just means you're perhaps good at making money. That's all it means. It's not success. Donald Trump, in God's eyes, is not success. And we get infected by the world. Let me repeat myself ad infinitum. <laughs> Hopefully not. You're not someone if you minister. You're someone if you're in Christ. Whether you minister or not. Whether you clean toilets or whether you run the country. Are you in Christ? That's the thing. And you might think, oh, I need this, 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 this. Well, God may give you things, but it's true that you are complete in him. He sees you like his son. I mean, do you believe God looks at you, Jackie, and says, I can see Jesus? What do you think? Oh, he sees Jackie, you know, Jackie. <laughs> You're lovely, by the way. <laughs> now, as I said, the world affects us. Now, I was reminded of a verse in the book of Daniel when... Uh, Daniel and his friends in the Old Testament, they got capt captured and taken off into Babylon. And something very interesting happened to them as soon as they arrived. They got their names changed. Their identity got switched. These Jewish men who worshipped the true God came to Babylon and it says in Daniel 1 verse 6, their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. And it says the chief Babylonian official gave them new names. 
To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar, which means Bel the prince. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael, the name Meshach. And to Azariah, the name Abednego. People make a joke about these names. They say it's my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. But the truth here is that the world wants to rename you. The world wants to make you believe you're a failure. You're a victim. You're not a success. You're ugly. Um, That your past is the only thing that defines you. The world wants to rename you rather than tell you that actually... Your name is Christ. I mean, not the Christ, but you are. Your, it says in Scripture somewhere about the whole earth of heaven and on, on the whole family on earth and heaven. I, I can't remember exactly. Where, in Ephesians, it says it talk, talks about them being named. It talks about them being named, and God. If you trust in Jesus, like Chris Harding sat there, his name actually, in God's sight, is Jesus Harding. I'm not telling you, uh, this is what God's shown me. In Christ, you're something. Now, how do people view themselves? Well, let's just do a few examples. Some people, they would never say this, but they view themselves um, as garbage. (laughs) Garbage, you know, off, like, fit for the rubbish dump. Well, I want to tell you something that I feel the Lord wanted me to remind you of. Um, In a country called Paraguay, there is, uh, like in many countries, there are these large uh, waste sites called landfill. You know, landfill where you chuck in all your old oil drums and your old washing machines and things. And there are a lot of poor people who work on this landfill. But someone once went to this landfill and started to collect what's classed as garbage. Old oil drums, bits of wood, bits of wire, bottle caps. And have turned it into, what they do is they build orchestral instruments out of garbage. The name of this uh, group is called the Landfill Harmonic. Landfill Harmonic. It's actually an orchestra that tours the world. And they've got a cello made of an oil drum, all dented up. They've got violins made of plastic bottles and old bits of wood. And it it doesn't look like a posh violin, but some of them sound better than some of the professional violins. And why am I telling you this? What I'm saying is, God will take what is considered garbage and will turn it into beautiful music. If you feel you're garbage, I'll tell you the truth. God doesn't see you like that. He sees you as a beautiful potential. There's a motto that goes with the Landfill Harmonic. By the way, if you don't believe me, check it out on YouTube. Go on YouTube and type in Landfill Harmonic. You'll see there's all these people collecting rubbish, building instruments out of junk which actually isn't junk in the end at all. And the motto they have is this, the world sends us garbage, we send back music. (laughs) I love it. The world sends us garbage, we send back music. God doesn't see you as failure. God doesn't see you as garbage, he sees you like that. Now, another thing people have trouble believing, they think, okay, God loves me, I'm saved, but... I haven't got much of a future, have I? I mean, look at me. Look at my situation. I haven't got much of a future. Well, 
One name of God, as well as being the God of all grace, he's the God of all hope. And I want to tell you about a woman in the Bible, just to show you, one of the most hopeless women in the Bible, how God gave her a future. Her name was Rahab. Now, Rahab was a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a place in the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites were evil people. The Canaanites were behaving like Isis do today. The Canaanites used to bury their babies alive. The Canaanites used to sacrifice their children in fire. When they had worship times, worshipping their gods, it would become orgies. It was a very you know, evil society, rather like some of the Isis behaviour of today. And God waited many years, but in the end, 400 years I think, judgment had to come. And he sent them to destroy a city called Jericho. But in that city, there was Rahab the prostitute. Now, you could think, well, she deserved it then, to be destroyed. But do you remember the story where God sent two spies to go and check out the land, yeah? Now, they thought, the two spies, they thought, I'm going to go and check out the land for military reasons. Look at, you know, look at the defences. But you know the real reason they were sent? The real reason God sent them was to rescue Rahab. It was a rescue mission. But they didn't know that. They thought, we're going to go and spy her. They ended up at the Rahab's house. And God, in his grace, sent a couple of Jewish soldiers to rescue a lifelong prostitute from the city of destruction. Now, Rahab, if you read about her in the Bible, I think five times... She has a label stuck to her. They don't call her Rahab in the scripture. They say Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. It follows her. You know, like a label that follows you. Talk about a label that follows you in life. Oh, there's Rahab. Oh, yeah, the prostitute. (laughs) That's the way people talked about her. I mean, you read it in scripture. It's even in the Bible. The Bible doesn't hide away from it. The Bible says Rahab the prostitute. You think, oh, what a label. But, and this is the beautiful part I want to share with you. Rahab became the great-great-grandmother of King David. Rahab gave birth to, I'll get my facts right here, Boaz. Boaz was the husband of Ruth, great man of God. Boaz became the father of, I think, Obed, and I think it was Jesse, King David. So, King David's great-great-grandmother was a prostitute. How about that? <laughs> Talk about a future and a hope. And, she, and then if you keep reading down the line in the book of Matthew, you find that in the end, Jesus is born. I know Jesus came from heaven, but in the earthly side of the family, Rahab was in his family line, up to Joseph. I mean, I know Joseph wasn't the father, it was God. But in that physical line, Rahab comes into the line of Jesus Christ. So she's got this whole, you know, you think, oh, what a write-off. But she... God picked her up and gave her a future. She made her the great-great-grandmother of King David. And the other amazing thing about Rahab is this. She gets mentioned in the Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham. It talks about Isaac. It talks about Moses. It talks about all these big, whopping, body, not bodybuilders, but you know, big, muscly men of God. And it says in Hebrews 11, um, I love this, verse 31. She's in there by faith. The prostitute, Rahab, see it's still called prostitute, (laughs) because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
I think it's amazing. What I'm trying to say to you, I feel God wanted me to share, is you might feel like you've been through hell, but God has a hope and a future. It may not be like that, but he has one for you. Uh, Jeremiah says this, 29 verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I mean, just one last thing to say about Rahab, and I must move on, is this. She had a whole chapter to herself in the Bible. Joshua chapter 2. It's all about Rahab. I mean, how many people get a chapter in the Bible written about them? Not many. <laughs> a whole chapter. I mean, it's pretty good. So, you might see yourself as sinful, but God sees you in Christ. A future, a hope. Right, let me just talk a little bit about some of the things the world does to us. The world tries to give us labels. You know, like, here's one. I'm a success. You know, if I make money, I'm a success. If I don't make money, I'm a failure. Or another label is this. I'm important. If I'm a bank manager, if I run the Metro Bank, I'm important. Whereas if I just serve at the tills, like you used to, then, you know, you're just not significant. But who said? You see, your identity is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Prince and princesses of God. Now, you may think, oh, yeah, nice for you to say that. But this is something you have to receive by faith. You have to go away and ask the Lord to help you learn this. Because I've had to learn that. How do you see me, God. The world gives us all kinds of labels that are wrong. Victim, failure. Uh, and the other thing it does, um, which I didn't really say, is it, it puts on this badge that you're a victim because of your past. Your past has to define you, like a big mountain of rubbish. I was driving, driving past the um, old rubbish tip, waste for fuel, down on Cornwall Drive. You know, near Crittles Corner, there's this big... Rubbish tip, 18,000 tonnes of rubbish that used to catch fire every week. You see the fire engines there all the time. Well, praise the Lord, they're starting to get rid of it now. I think they've taken away about 16,000 or so tonnes. But you know, there are some people that all they see is their pile of rubbish. That's all they can see, a big mountain of rubbish. Because that's not what, God's greater than your mountain of rubbish. God sees you in Christ. Okay, what else does the world try and teach us? The world tries to teach us different ways to become happy and feel good about yourself because identity is really two things. One, who am I really? Two, how do I feel about that? Do I feel good about that? And what the world teaches you is one way to have identity and feel good is you've got to go and achieve it. You know, here's an example. What is today's culture saying in 2017? Today's culture is saying you've got to go out and be yourself. You've got to go out and express your individualness. You've got to go and, you know, do this. Do what's different to your... Don't stuff your family. Stuff them. This is what the culture says. Stuff even what, you know, your, your friends might advise you. Go and do what makes you unique. And there is that song, which my children love, called 
Let It Go by Elsa in Frozen. If you have um, grandchildren or children, you have to watch Frozen, sadly, if they're girls. But Let It Go, what the real meaning of the song Let It Go is, let go of what everyone else thinks of you and do what you want to do. That's what it's saying. Let, let it go and do what you want to do. Go and express yourself. Um, but the problem with this is it's all about you achieving something. And the problem with achieving something is it's very, very tiring. You know, the world says, you've got to have a body like Gerard Butler. Go. You've got to have money. Go and work hard. You've got to um, you know, be a success. I mean, the other little pressure that to put on people. It doesn't happen so much in this country, but in, in India where I went, other cultures, they have this pressure put on them. hope you correct me on this, Grace. Part of the pressure in the culture of non-Western cultures is you've got to become a good role model in your society and get honour from the community. Like, you've got to be a good father, then you'll get honour. You've got to be a good son, then you'll get honour. You've got to be a good civil servant. You'll get honour in the community. But what if you mess up? If you're a bad son, people write you off. What if you don't make a lot of money in the UK? People write you off. The whole thing I'm trying to get at is this. It's all about achieve. You've got to achieve it. You've got to achieve it. You've got to achieve it. And that brings you crushing pressure, crushing anxiety. I can't, it's hard. I mean, I used to, sorry to talk about this, but I used to want to be a bodybuilder. I've said this before. I used to want to go and get big muscles, and now I can't because my dad is skinny. I love him, but he's skinny. But I used to train hard. I used to do all kinds of things because I wanted to be someone. And the problem is, it's so crushing. And what God says to you is, you want an identity? Right, you don't achieve it, you receive it. And this is what we have to receive by faith, is the identity that comes from being in Christ. We've got to receive it. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, and John will agree with me because he knows me quite well. <laughs> certain times you can become a Christian and there are certain things that carry on in your life that are being affected by this worldview. Um, here's one for me. Naturally, when I'm not walking with the Lord, I'm quite competitive. Competitive, you know. Um, when I was a bodybuilder, it was all about competition. And sometimes you can buy into this thought that I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian. And you don't deal with things that carry on in your life that are still there. Like competitive spirit, for instance. Because you think, well, I'm a good Christian. And as soon as you start thinking something sinful, you kind of deny it. That's not, I'm a good Christian. That's not me. I'm not competitive. Well, I'm not this. I'm not that. You deny it. But the truth is, you've been listening to the world. If you're in Christ and you know he accepts you because of the cross, you can face up to your sin and say, yeah, actually, I'm a bit competitive. Yeah, actually, I need to deal with this. Rather than saying, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to deny it. The other thing, just quickly, about being, uh, thinking you're a good Christian is, you can sometimes not actually be that bothered about sin, but just the consequences of it. You can think of just the consequences. You know, you think, I'm sorry if I've been caught, but I'm not really sorry what I did. 
Because as soon as you get rid of the consequences, I'll go back and do it again. I don't know if you ever like that. You know, you, you, you do a sin and you, and you, you feel bad because you know there are consequences, but are you actually sorry what you did? <laughs> or are you just sorry about the consequences? Anyway, I've nearly finished, but my main point is this. Please take it home. You are someone in Christ. Whether you have no job at all, whether you're the top dog in a company, whether you're beautiful or not, you are someone in Christ. You really are. In fact, you're the only people that really matter. I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but you are. In, in God sees Jesus. Your life is hidden in Christ. And we've got to go away and learn what that means. <laughs> now, I'd like to just give you some illustrations of that. Uh, maybe just two. Because I spoke to Karina and I said, I don't want to be 50 minutes today like I was last time. What am I doing? How am I doing for time? <clears throat> I said, I've got loads of stories. And she said, oh, I'll only tell two, please. Because <laughs> I could tell loads. But does any of you ever watch the um, program NCIS? Uh, it's a, I never watched it, but I understand it's a detective sort of... For the Navy, yeah, American Navy Detective Pro, NCIS. And there is an episode which I have watched in there where there is a, a man who's a, he's kind of, we think he's guilty, we don't know for sure, but we think he's committed a murder. He's a Marine, US Marine. And they send the military police to arrest him. And in comes this commander, followed by two big, massive, muscly military police. They said, we've come to arrest you, and they're really aggressive. You're a criminal. You're guilty. And when he's standing there, he's got a friend who's next to him. And this friend opens his shirt of, his, of this guy and reveals that he's wearing the Medal of Honor. Now, the Medal of Honor is the highest medal possible for any American soldier. In England, it would be the Victoria Cross, the ultimate award. And as soon as these military police, who are all angry, see the medal on him, they stop and they go, and they salute him. And they're saluting the medal. They stand there, they don't arrest him for a while, they just salute him, they're saluting the medal. And I don't know what happens after that. But the point is this, as soon as you trust Jesus Christ, God pins onto you the medals of his son. All the medals that Jesus won on Calvary are pinned onto you. So you say, I'm rubbish, I'm a failure. This, I've suffered from this. Ask Karina, poor dear, she knows about it. Um, God, he looks at you, like Tony, you might, Tony might say, I'm, I'm, a I'm sinful. But God, you trust in Jesus, God sees all the medals of Christ. It's not about you earning them. Jesus earned them. Here's another quick story. I'm only going to tell two. I've got another one, but I won't. <coughs> and this is from the Bible, which is perhaps a bit more sound. Um, do you know that in Exodus, chapter 28, when the, um, they had a, in the desert, they had a, a tent known as the tabernacle, where God lived. And they had someone called the high priest. And his job was to go into this uh, tabernacle and he would go in and 
I think it was once a year then, he would do religious ceremonies inside this uh, tabernacle, right in front of God's presence. And if he went in, in sin, he would die instantly. But this is what I want to bring out to you. When he went in, he wore something on his chest. It had 12 jewels on it. I think it had more than 12, actually. But there were these jewels on his chest. And I want to suggest to you, these jewels represent you and me, the people of God. Let's just read it a moment, and I'll explain. Exodus 28, verse 15, it says, Moses was told to make a breastpiece of judgment of a skilled craftsman. Make it like the ephod. I don't know exactly what that is. I think it's a kind of a top. Of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long, a span wide, and folded double. And this is the bit. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row there shall be a ruby, a topaz, a beryl, a second row a turquoise, a sapphire, an emerald. In the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. Mount them in gold settings. They are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved with a seal and the name of one of the twelve tribes. Then in verse 29 of chapter 28, the Bible says this, Whenever Aaron, that's the high priest, enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece as a continuing memorial before the Lord. <clears throat> and then verse 30, it talks about something called the Urim and the Thummim, which I don't really understand. But it says this, that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the judgment of the children of Israel before the Lord continually. So you've got this picture of a high priest with six, uh, 12 jewels on his chest going into God's presence. And the high priest, in those days, he was just a guy. Today, the real high priest is Jesus. And he is not in some tent in the desert. He's really, really in real heaven before the real well, God. So you've got the real Jesus coming before the real God. And those names, they're your names. The names of the people of God are on his chest, on his heart. And he comes. So you might think you're rubbish, but you go in there and there's a stone, a gem, and it's got your name on it. The name of Tony. You're not rubbish, by the way. Yeah, the name of Tony. The name of Tracy. The name of all these people before the Prince of God. And God looks at Jesus, because you're on Christ, and he sees a precious stone. He sees a beauty, a jewel. My children love jewellery. Don't they? They're forever putting it on. God views you as a jewel. He does. You think, no, he doesn't. I'm this, I've been through it. God views you as a gem, a real beauty. I had a friend called Norman Mays who used to get hold of my chin. He used to make me laugh. You get hold of my chin and you go, oh, you're a beauty, you are. You're a beauty. And I used to think, what are you on, mate? <laughs> but in a sense, it's true. In God's sight, you're a beauty. 
He sees the gemstones. He sees. And I will finish with this little verse. And I will finish on time. I won't keep saying, I will finish, I will finish, and then not do it. Malachi, chapter 3, the end of the book Bible, yeah, in the book of Malachi, end of the, sorry, Old Testament. Uh, Malachi, chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord says this, they, that's the people of God, they will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The people of God, of which you are, if you are in Christ, are his jewels. And there's going to be a day when he will make up his jewels. He will, I don't know how that works, but he'll put them all up on his crown in heaven. So, I'm going to stop. What I would like us to do, I'm going to ask uh, you to stand, please, if you are able. If you're not able, that's fine, but if you can stand. And if you feel a need to not get your identity horizontally from what other people think of you, or from what the world teaches you, but you feel a need to get your identity vertically from God, you are in Christ, then I'd like you to put your hands out. And if you're sitting down and you want to do it, that's fine. Put your hands out and receive. It's something that can't happen immediately, but I just want, it's a revelation, and the Lord will, wants to teach us that we are someone in Christ. Let's just I'll do that. And let's just pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you that what I've been saying, however I've said it, Lord, is true. You do see us hidden in Christ. You don't see us in ourselves with our flaws. You see us in Jesus. And I pray you'd help us to learn and believe and accept by faith, uh, Lord, that you um, have made us wonderful in your sight. When you look at us, you do see your son. Yes, there are things that have got to change, Lord. There are things that have got to happen, things to be dealt with. But, Lord, you see us as your son. And that's who we will be. We will be like that in heaven, like Jesus. We'll be just like Christ in heaven. Lord, and I just pray you'll help me and anyone here to get their security, their stability, their affirmation uh, their rock in being in Christ and not in other things, not in position or money or looks or whatever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to be strong in Christ. Whatever we do, whatever we don't do. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, if anyone would like to talk about anything to do with